From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. This is a story about children and life and death in Badenbong. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sounds, sound bites, and other oral delectables we find all over the world. Upstate, down under, over hill, around the globe, more prepositions than you could ever cover on your own. We listen to the internet, the airwaves, audio festivals, work from college students, teen radio websites, sort through it all, and then bring you the best of what we hear. Today on ReSound, life and death in Badambong. We explore Cambodia through the sound of the countryside and the stories of her children. I am 16 years old. By playing. By playing, playing music. And listening, he really loves listening to music. I know. I like singing. The statistics for children in Cambodia, half the country's population, are bleak. Less than half of the children enrolled in primary school make it to sixth grade, and more than 40,000 die before their first birthday of diseases like pneumonia and dengue fever. Yet, everywhere, there are stories of families making the best of extraordinary circumstances and children surviving against impossible odds. Australian producer Virginia Madsen traveled to Battenbong, four hours from Cambodia's capital of Phnom Penh, to visit Kumar Rikriye, an orphanage whose name means happy children. It was a family affair for this story. Not only is Madsen's brother Robert a social worker at the orphanage, but Madsen brought her 11-year-old daughter Lena on the trip. In fact, Lena ended up as a co-narrator in this documentary, telling the children's stories of life and death in Bettenbong. To the memory of Petra, who died in Badabong District Hospital, May 2007. Okay, we're going to sing a song. <laughs> song. We're going to sing a song. The song is called Komari Kriye. What does Komari Kriye mean? What does it mean? Happy? Komari Kriye? Happy children? Happy children. So you lead. Ready? Moi. Moi. Be. Pee. Bye. Bye. One, two, three. Life and death in Badambong. Children's stories from Cambodia. Close your eyes. Have no fear. The monster's all his only friend, friendly friend is here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, 
afternoon at five o'clock and in the morning at seven the carers of each house will round up the kids sing the national anthem. Dee is here with a sister, means happy children. It's also the name for a children's centre in the countryside of Cambodia, a home to 60 children who have nowhere else to go. Children who have been picked up on the streets of Bangkok begging. Trafficked children brought to work Hello. in Thai factories. So today. Cambodian children from the beaches of Pattaya and Phuket. So today. Selling flowers and postcards to tourists. Virginia. They've been picked up as illegal immigrants and taken by the Thai police to the transit centre at Poi Pet on the Thai-Cambodian border. This is uh, Rota. Rota is five years old. Rota, you from Manhattan? Okay. Rota, Hello, Rota. <laughs> Many of the children went to Thailand with a family member or with an intermediary. Their earnings payment for a family debt. Some of the kids are just strays. Homeless children from the streets of Bananbong, with nowhere else left to go. Kids like Petra. So this is the girl's house, one of the girls. That's me making that funny sound. The kids were all copying me. I played with the children at Kamakriye. I met Leah Pinar and Turin and Petra. They play the same games as us, even though we don't speak the same language. Petra was a beautiful child. What happened to Petra? My name is Petra. Uh, I am 16 years old. I he likes drawing, he really likes drawing. And listening, sit up playing, he's, he really loves listening to music. Yeah. Uh, he likes singing. Trian. Singing, yeah? Yeah. What about and read this song later? 
He likes learning English, yeah? <laughs> his mother has died. His father lives yeah, around approximately 100 kilometers away. Um, the, the police, uh, I understand, caught Petra um, for maybe doing something, I'm not so clear, but uh, my understanding is he's living, he was spending time here living on the street because he couldn't live at home. He, he was taking food, or he was caught by the police doing some petty, petty crime, might have been taking some food, uh, not absolutely clear, but he went to the police station. Not so happy in the house uh, because people are People are not Nobody. He's saying that he never felt cared for. There's no one, no one, Kaming Niknami, there's no one to really look after him or care for him. He was scared. Uh, Petra uh, told some of the workers here, or Kamar Rikriye, that he didn't have a family at all. Um, and uh, he decided to, to say that because he was very scared. He wanted to stay here, but he was scared, cluck, huh? to tell uh, the workers about this because of the fear that he would be sent back to his family if they if the workers knew these kids parents are not with their children here not anywhere nearby their families are far away maybe the children have never been to school or their parents are dead this is the boy who arrived with the monk the monk was too poor to look after his son, so he brought him all the way to Battenbong. Very well, thank you. Which is almost a day's journey on the bus from Phnom Penh. I met Petra in the dry season, when the red dust blew over the burnt rice stubble and over all the cars and houses and small roadside stalls selling pineapples and dried fish and green mangoes. In the dry season, the Sankei River is very low and cows graze on its banks in the town. I met Petra and all the children in a dry season when I went to visit my uncle at Kamar Kriye. Before the rains fell on Cambodia and Badambong, bringing typhoid, meningitis and dengue. It took us half a day to get to Badambong by taxi. Uncle Robert lives just around the corner from the local pagoda. He lives on the top floor of a two-storey traditional Khmer wooden house. He has no air conditioning and it's very hot inside. Cover? Yep. Robert has just woken up. Almost seven. Siren will go off. 
siren goes off every morning, 7 o'clock, all around that and bong. It wakes me up if I haven't woken up at 5.30 with the uh, sound of the two pagodas nearby, sound of chanting and singing, and uh, a siren, like an air raid siren, yeah. World War II it's like, the siren just goes off. Reminding everyone to respect the king of, of Cambodia. Living near pagoda is uh, not easy because the, uh, the chanting and the music of the pagodas are very loud. Sometimes of the year it starts at, at four in the morning. Here's the tea. You want the tea? And then when the siren goes off, the doo-doo, the dog, you'll start singing to the siren. Should happen any minute now. You've got no choice, you better get up. There it goes. And he's doo-doo. And he's on time. Just over 10 years ago, Badambong was shelled and evacuated for the last time. These days, Badambong is quite safe for tourists like us. This week in Banabong is Chinese New Year, and every day we wake not only to the sound of the pagoda, but to the firecrackers. In 1888, while on a hunting safari in the region, an early visitor to Banabong, Monsieur Edgar Boulanger, wrote in his diary, Banabong is a well-to-do city of 20 to 50,000 people. You will not meet any beggars on your way. I drive a motorbike every day to work. It's about 10 kilometres from where I live here in, in this house. And you, you, yeah, you meet people along the way. And there was an old lady, she's only about 72. Uh, well, she, no, she's 72 years old. Um, and uh, she works there with her daughter, who must be that's 45 or so. And I've, I've got to know her using my own broken Khmer. <laughs> And she's a survivor, as most people are here, survivors of the uh, Khmer Rouge genocide period. And of course the Khmer Rouge only really left this area in the late 90s, so it's pretty recent, long civil war. And uh, she told me that she lost uh, seven or eight of her children. She had a large family, uh, they were all killed, plus her husband who used to work in the uh, Air Force, I think, in the government before the Khmer Rouge. So, yeah, she suffered, uh, like a lot of others, a compounded loss, you know, over a long period of time. And now she's just, you know, going about her humble day, selling sugarcane juice with her surviving daughter. Sure, I've got the fridge, I've got a nice fridge, I've got a little lounge here, I've got 65 channels on the television. But the moment you walk out, you know, you're walking down the, the dust road and you've got the pagoda and you've got the monks, 
in robes, you've got everyone on motorbikes, you know, five family members on a, on a motorbike, none of them with helmets. Very well, thank you. How are you? Some children have been at Komar Recreé since it opened in 1998. The two deaf girls were found on the streets of Badenbong when they were seven or eight. Their families have never been found. It's, uh, how, it's a sign language for hello, how are you? She's okay. I think she's okay. She's today, yeah. At regular intervals, children arrive from the border. Children trafficked for their labour to work on Thai farms, in factories, karaoke bars, in the booming sex trade. A Land Rover arrives from the border. We've got the Land Rover here, the IOM Land Rover, that's just arrived from the border of Thailand. And uh, as it sometimes happens when the arrival of new children, we've got two new children, two boys have just arrived. So they would have spent last night in uh, Poi Pet Transit Centre. And, uh, and before that, they would have been brought across the border by the Thai authorities. So they're, they're coming back to Cambodia. And do, you, and, uh, do you know anything about them at this stage? Nothing, nothing at all. So uh, um, the IOM uh, driver here, with uh, there's another social worker here, will bring them into the main office just in front of us and uh, register them to Kamara Create. And then Satiwat here is one of the social workers. Will interview both of them today upstairs in the counselling room, and then they'll. They'll uh, be led across to uh, meet their other children here at the centre and the leaders and the house, house carers. Settle in. Robert is providing on-the-job training for the social workers of Kamar Recreé. He's there as part of one of the capacity building programs across Cambodia, supported by Australian Volunteers International. This is Chia Navi, one of Komar Recreé's social workers. Over 10 years, she's taken charge of 300 cases at the centre. Here she tells us about a girl just returned after some months living with her father and stepmother. This girl is very shy, and since the day she arrived, has been unable to stop shaking. How not to be a better beggar. Her father lives in the military barracks and it's not safe for Tui Vey. It's mainly a place for men. When the social worker, Navi, visited Toi Vey at her father's house, she found the girl all alone. When they went to that girl's house, they found that her mother had died. Tui Vey was sitting alone in the house. No one else was there, and in this situation, she was extremely vulnerable to danger. Her stepmother has foster children, and already she caused one child to become blind. So she's made uh, that girl to be blind. You know, before that, that girl 
her eye is not blind, but because she used a needle to to touch into her eyes uh, from day by day to become now it's blind. Which girl is blind? It's a foster, foster. Another child. Yeah, another child. But she has a foster. foster child. Yeah, her stepmother have a foster child. And now, uh, for her stepmother and that girl went to Thailand, go back to Thailand to bucket the money. So. Are you saying she blinded her? Yeah. To take her to Thailand. Yeah. So she could be a better beggar. Yeah, better beggar. A better beggar. Today in Cambodia, the very poor make up more than one-third of the population. Many children must work to survive. Sometimes they can earn more money than their parents. This is Badambong garbage dump. At the end of a rough dirt road on the outskirts of Badambong is the local garbage dump. We've gone on the bikes with Robert and Sati Watt a social worker at KMR who is on the weekly run to assess the children. He's bringing valuable supplies of paracetamol and disinfectant and surgical dressings for the frequent cuts and wounds as kids and families scavenge through the rubbish to make perhaps a dollar a day. In front of us you've got piles of rubbish and smoke uh, and you can see uh, ooh, seven, eight, nine people uh, working through the rubbish, trying to find anything that they might be able to sell. What sort of things? Like empty bottles. They might get, uh, you know, a couple of cents for an empty bottle um, or, or anything, anything else to recycle or even some food. The communities around this uh, dumping ground are very poor. The poor, some of the poorest in Cambodia. And Satiwat, of course, our outreach social worker, works here providing uh, basic medical help and um, some uh, equipment to them, like gloves, masks, I guess harm minimisation, if you like, and um, works with the families as well to try and uh, help these parents get the kids to school. Because school is free in Cambodia, but uh, uniforms, uh, books uh, are not free, so with communities so poor as this, they can't afford it. And also the parents will try and keep the children going to look through the rubbish dump. Kamari Kriye began its life in places like this, tending to homeless and street children, living off other people's refuse. Many of the families here are returned refugees from the Thai camps, set up after the terrible Khmer Rouge years, when thousands fled Cambodia to escape one of the most crazed and savage regimes in history. Can you ask him how he did lose his hand? A man with only one arm rummages through the debris. Uh, at that time, during the war time, uh, a lot of bombs, it's a messy around the land or over the land or under the land. So he didn't know at that time, he didn't know what is the bomb, how the bomb looked like. So he just saw that iron and he think maybe we can sell it. He so mistook a landmine for scrap metal. There are obvious signs of an economic boom in the cities, 
new opportunities from tourism and the garment industry. But few benefits of the boom can be seen filtering down to the poor here. In many cases it's bad luck and hardship stories we're hearing. But we also meet farmers who once owned a small plot of land, but have now had it taken from them. A new class of land developer has arrived in Cambodia, working with corrupt military officials and politicians. They force peasant farmers to leave their land, sometimes at gunpoint, with little more than a day or two's notice and little, if any, compensation. In her regular column in the internationally respected Phnom Penh Post, lawyer, activist and writer Thierry Seng wrote, We are crushed, a soulless nation. We have lost our moral bearings. We have reduced our choices to scraps and tattered spoils. It's now the truck is coming, so maybe they will be busy to try to... What is this landscape? On the back of an open garbage truck, kids clamber knee-deep in bags of wet, stinking garbage. They're prodding and tearing apart plastic bags with long metal prongs provided by Kumar Ritkriye. Like them, we wear cotton face masks in an attempt to reduce the stench. Mounds of smouldering rubbish as far as the eye can see. Plastic bags and burning scraps spiral, rise and fall in the updrafts. It's almost beautiful. In the distance, small dark figures industriously comb the dump, moving amongst the constant eddying of garbage. Like there really might be something of value to be discovered here, if you just keep on looking. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxai. We're in the middle of Life and Death in Batambong, the story of the children at Kamar Recreate Orphanage in Cambodia. If you like or don't like what you hear on the show, let us know. Questions, comments, rants, and raves can be sent to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Now, back to Life and Death in Batambong. Story. Why poor children go to Thailand? Turin is the oldest of four children. When she was 15, her father died of HIV AIDS. Hi, At that time, it was very hard for us. We didn't have any rice to eat. 
So all I could do was to go into the forest every day and dig for bamboo shoots. I could either sell these to buy some rice or we could eat the bamboo if there wasn't enough money and just have a small amount of rice. Then came the dry season and my grandmother needed to find another better place to stay. We were working deep in the forest and I would have missed my mother entirely because it's incredible. But my mum came back for us. She came back from Thailand. Yeah. Why did she come back? My mother missed us so much, so she came looking for us. She'd been asking in the village where she used to live. And one by one, the neighbours told her we'd gone to that forest. It's unbelievable, I know, that she found us. It was a pure accident because I was going to go that day deeper into the forest to find the bamboo. At the last minute, I'd decide, I don't know why, to come back and dig close to the road. I didn't see her, but she saw me first from the motor dock. That's a motorbike taxi. And I turned around to see her calling me. That's incredible. After this then, my mother asked my grandparents to bring up all of us to live with her at the old place. We stayed with her there one month and then, I don't know why, but my mother went back to Thailand to work. When my mother went back to Thailand, she gave the neighbours some money to buy food for us. After a while at the neighbour's house, the owner's children returned to live there and the parents then asked us to try and find another house. It was then that I called my mother to tell her what had happened. When she heard that, she said, I'll bring you all to Thailand. And then one day, she returned to us. It was then that my mother too started to become sick. Could she see a doctor at all where they were? Were there any doctors? She went to a hospital, but she soon ran out of money. That's why she stopped going. She never told us what was wrong, what the real sickness was, what happened to her. She never told us. Things became really hard. We had no money and my mother was very ill. I then decided I would go to Thailand to work and I decided to tell her I wanted to go. But she would not allow me to go there. She said, even if there was no food. So I decided to stop eating and I fasted for five days. Five days without food. At the end of the five days, my mother relented and so I left to go to Thailand. And I went there for one year. For one year, I worked in a bottle recycling factory. The bottles had to be broken and cleaned. My job was to collect the caps from the broken glass. But after one year, my mother called me to come home. She said she was seriously sick and would not be able to stay alive much longer. She wanted to see me before she passed away. But it was so hard when I left Thailand. I was near the border when the police caught me and put me in jail. They wanted money from me, so I had to give them some before I could get out and cross the border back into Cambodia. 
It was late and so I had to stay overnight in Poi Pet, which is just on the Cambodian side of the border. I stayed with people I knew there, but what I didn't realise was that when I left the next day, all the money I had left had been stolen that night. I had to look again for my mother, and finally I found them, my mother and my brothers and my sister. I was there only a short time when my mother became very seriously ill. After 16 days, my mother passed away and then a distant uncle came and took us all to live with him. He was the one who contacted Kamar Kriye. It was too much for him to manage us all. How can she keep her family together? I hope to get a job to earn enough money and then I'll bring my brothers and sister to live with me. I'm training in a beauty shop. They already like how skilled I am and want me to come and work in the new shop. Leah Pinar likes swinging on the hammock in the girls' house at Kamar Recreé. They like singing too, and have a whole lot of songs copied down into exercise books that they want us to hear. What did this song, Chomri and Me, Ampiyavai? The words, Piet Ampiyavai. Mi nai niang mek. Mi nai ta, Shalang. Shalang. This song is going to be about love. Love. Shalang. This is a love song. Her name is Leah. She is 13. Her name is Na, and she is 14. They have both been at Kmart for one year and four months. How did you come to Kumar I was brought to Poi Pet from Thailand after the police caught me in the markets. How many years in Thailand? Three years, Bangkok. Did, did she have to work when she was in Thailand selling things? I had to work, yes, in a factory. I had to carry drink bottles to a big truck. I started at 3 o'clock in the morning and worked late into the night. You have time for sleep only one or two hours according to the boss in there. Or the, and who, who was her boss? My boss's name was Tulak. He is a Thai. I lived in one room. They had a boy's room and a girl's room, and in each room there were three people. Did you make any money? Did you? Did they pay you any money, or how much money did you get paid? 
I got 2,500 baht per month. That's about 60 to 70 US dollars a month. What was the worst part about living in Thailand? Sometimes, if they were tired or the children don't want to work and they feel they just couldn't do it, they wanted to rest for 10 minutes. The boss would use an electric shock or hit them with a stick or sometimes push gas into their ears. What do you mean gas? You mean burning? Like a... Yeah, the gas is like a lighter. They use gas like this. A cigarette lighter. He would use it to burn their ears. And when you were working at this factory, did you get to see your mother or father very often? Um, no. Never. No, never. And who took you to Thailand? I went with a neighbour who lived near our house. She said she could find me a good job in Thailand. This is Na. I went with a lady who needed someone to look after her children in Thailand. She was already working for other Thais in a house and couldn't look after her own children. They gave me 500 baht a month, about 15 US dollars. I was 13. What was the worst part about living in Thailand for you? Like, like with Leah, what was the worst for you? I was afraid when I had to go to the market to buy food. I was afraid someone I didn't know might catch me and then sell me for sex. I was also afraid of all the traffic and when the police might see me and then catch me and put me in prison because I was living in Thailand in an illegal way. How many uh, are in her family, brothers and sisters? I have ten brothers and sisters. I am the youngest. One brother and one sister also went to Thailand to find work. I don't know where the others are. What about Leah? Does she have many brothers and sisters? And does she know where they are? Mm. She has six brothers and sisters. There are only two left at home. Another three went to find work in Malaysia. One is in Thailand, another one in Vietnam. Do you want to go home, Leah? Do you want to go home? Not yet. Not yet. Leah and Na are looking visibly upset. We do some breathing and relaxation exercises. Relaxing in, the, in silence where we just close our eyes. Okay. Let's all just close our eyes and just slowly breathe in and slowly breathe out through our nose. And just listen to the silence. Okay.
We're like this for a long time. Me noticing the hundreds of little red ants on the floor. Just quiet, breathing together. A kind of meditation. Distant music from the pagoda. It's always there, in the countryside and streets of Cambodia, winding its way into your memories. It's hot this afternoon. It's been a long day and the room is quite small. It feels like there's no air to breathe. the first to start. You can hear her, even though she's trying hard not to make a sound. Leop has lost it too now, her face wet with tears. It's too hard. These two are very brave to, to talk. Come by me, so what a bit. This place is safe here right now. Each of the girls holds a piece of folded paper in her hands. Nas letter to Lekina. Kaapchi. To Lekina. To Lekina. Yes. Lekina is the uh, carer, the house yeah. carer of the. Tone it through Lekina, anyway. The girls. My aunt Manika. Do you want us to read it? Aunt Man, yes. Okay. In this letter, he say, dear. Dear Mom Lekina. Uh, Dear Lekina, when you talk, you only talk with the big girl, D. You never speak with me or play with me anymore. You play only with her. And I'm so sad, I have to sit all alone and cry. But I still love you forever. But you still won't play with me or speak to me. <coughs> like you do with Shrey D. You have lots of fun playing with D. I've watched you. And you look so happy, but when I play with you, you never smile. Perhaps you have stopped loving me. So she sing. Have only Lekina can make her feel uh, happy, feel fantastic, and feel fun. But now you have D, so you, you forget, forget me. One hundred percent. I lost control of myself the other day at school in class. My level of study has gone down, and it's because of you. Liap is in tears again. <coughs> Na also. She's also write down the letter to Lekina, but not yet uh, give her. Does she feel the same too? Just the same. Sometimes she remembers and thinks of the past. All the bad things, some very bad things, so she will cry all alone. Turin is one of the big girls and she will come and try and calm her. She says, 
Don't think about the past. It's over. You just think about the present and what you are doing now, how happy you are here. The past is over and you cannot get it back. It just makes your heart break. So don't think about those things. One of the only air-conditioned cafes in Badambong, I talk with an Australian development aid worker and academic, Liz Hoban. Liz has been working in Cambodia for more than seven years on various projects. She's in the process of establishing a commercial flower farm and fine embroidery business with poor village women in the northeast. She's seen many families leave their villages to go to Thailand or a big city. She's seen the effects on boys and girls and families trafficked to Thailand and Phnom Penh for their labour or sex. There's many desperate families. They're so, so desperate. If they sold everything they had, that many families would not have $5 worth of belongings. The dengue rate this year was phenomenally high. Um, alcohol is on the rise. Child abuse appears to be, whether it's real numbers going up or it's the fact that we're counting them now. There's certainly out-migration that's occurring at a much more, much more rapid rate than it was even five years ago to Thailand to work. Um, it doesn't appear to me in the village that in the uh, villages where we work that more children are going to school. In our villages, there's no girls in secondary school. Foreign sex tourism's alive, and we only have to walk down the main streets of Monivong of an evening, or go to some of the bars on the riverside, and we can see very clearly what's going on. But the internal trade is quite phenomenal, really, of young village girls coming in to work, whether it's they start off with the factory and then are, you know, moonlighting at night time in karaoke bars. But uh, definitely rich, corrupt officials, rich private sector businessmen, um, multiple wives often, uh, or a wife and many girlfriends, and young girls are very popular for casual or you know, long-term sexual partners, and of course business is booming. So this is, this is fueling the demand for these young children coming in from the village, and you know, they're considered to be highly valued because they're virgin. So the money is around about 1,000 US dollars, can be more if she's very beautiful and she's a virgin, right down to about three or four hundred dollars, and it gets less as the kids get older. And there's parts of Phnom Penh where it's very, very easy to access young people. A lot of the young kids who are working on the streets and st street work or are, you know, garbage collectors, whatever, they are so, so vulnerable to being picked up and sexually abused and then moving on, perhaps being trafficked across border. You were afraid, Lena, in Phnom Penh on the street. You were crying. Do you remember what you saw? Would you like? You can have a mop or you can have the curry. 
Is this still on? Do you think we can do a commentary? We're all sitting here, sitting here at La Crochette restaurant. We can think of Paris, yeah, Paris. Let's uh, drink the soccer pip. Soccer pip for all. Good health. Yeah, are you ready? Are you ready? Good beer. She was so tiny. It was almost 10 o'clock at night. She had a plate full of champa flowers and roses. I was with Robert and some other Australian expats working in Cambodia. We'd met by chance and were sitting in La Crochette restaurant on Sizawof Quay. A security guard outside the restaurant wanted to shoo the child away, but we were prepared to buy her flowers and I wanted to record. How old is she? Tommy? Six from Moi Chanam. And how much are the flowers? How much are these flowers? This is 2,000, that's 500. You were afraid, Lena, in Phnom Penh on the street. You were crying. Do you remember what you saw? I saw a little girl like her. She was lying on a dirty footpath asleep with her mother lying only on a small mat. I remember the road was still really noisy with motorbikes, even though it was so late. They seemed so small together there on the ground. This is Badambong District Hospital. This was where Petra died, in this hospital, in one of these old rusty beds. All that possibility gone. He's just he, uh, this guy just said there's 40 here, 40 with um, dengue fever. 40 here and upstairs. In 40, these couple 40, of wards. 40 kids. Is he the doctor or he's no, no I'm a nurse. He speaks English. <laughs> he's one of the nurses. I'm a nurse. A nurse as yeah. well. <laughs> 40, 40 children with dengue fever. Yes. Yeah. So this Robert was where the Komari Create children were. Yeah, we had maybe 20 here, here. Like this man over here, he's probably the father, and there's the mother, he's having a sleep. The mother's holding the, uh, the rag. The she doesn't rag look over very her. well, that little the girl. Child she looks very looks sick. This is the same bed, and ironically, with this, this child here is nine. It's the same bed that Dee from Kamara uh, almost died uh, six weeks ago. Same bed. With uh, dengue fever. Yeah. This is Varna. This girl doesn't look good, does she? No, she won't. She looks. Well, she's got meningitis and she's had dengue and bacterial meningitis, if it is, is very serious. As you know. This is the intensive care ward, the paediatric ward. There are no doctors here. They're at lunch, like they were when Petra died. There are 20 kids here, and by the time you hear this, more will have died of meningitis, dengue fever, and drugs wrongly prescribed. Like Petra, they're lying in the stifling heat on old rusty beds hooked to old rusty oxygen bottles. A cat walks through the ward. 
Life and Death in Badambong. This program was made possible by the children of Komar Recreate, Badambong, Cambodia. Moi, Bi, Bai. Petra, D, Da, Turin. Close your eyes, have no fear. The monster's wrong, his only friend, friendly friend is here. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come Come on, come on, come Brota, Nai, Vana, Wero, Surin, Ra, Red, Toy Vei, Mao, Sian, Dara, Rolna, Turin. Life and Death in Bambong was produced by Virginia Madsen for Radio I on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. The narrators were Virginia Madsen and her 11-year-old daughter, Lena. You're listening to ReSound. I'm Gwen Maxi. As sound artist Aaron Zim says, the world makes its own music. And he's been listening to and recording that music for years now. He travels around the world with his trusty binaural microphones and sketches in sound the experience of being in a completely unfamiliar place. His work, he says, is not a substitute for travel, but if you listen, you just might be transported. Here are two recordings from his own travels in Cambodia. One is the sound of a bicycle taxi making its way home through the crowded streets of Phnom Penh. But first you'll hear a recording made at dusk, outside the entrance to the Angkor Wat Temple Complex. (laughs) 
That was the sound of a bicycle taxi winding its way through the streets of Phnom Penh. For more field recordings by Aaron Zim, visit quietamerican.org. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxai. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Our production intern is Katie Mingle, and our festival intern is Ben Winter. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from all over the world, and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.